Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that relishes all sorts of information and experiences in the world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program we have news stories including Genesis may be the first electric vehicle to include wireless battery charging. And in our feature interviews, Driver Distraction, what does an eminent professor say about how we should rate the interior controls and infotainment operations in new cars? And what would be the marketing behind Tesla's announcing another ugly vehicle? You can find more information and the longer interviews at adrivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes. We even list the times each item appears so you can go straight to it. And there's always our Facebook page, Overdrive City Driven Media. But let's get this program going. First, the news. Hyundai's luxury brand, Genesis, has revealed exterior and interior images of their upcoming GV60. When it is launched, it will be their first electric vehicle based on the company's dedicated EV platform. The website, Green Car Reports, says it will be one of the first global market EVs with original equipment wireless charging, but initially only in South Korea on a trial basis. To charge the vehicles, the driver simply parks over a pad. This technology has been considered for special uses such as such as to let electric taxis top up their batteries while waiting on a rank. It is thought that Ytricity will provide the technology. It's a company founded in 2007 to commercialise a system invented and patented by a team of physicists from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. The company believes that this can be done with high efficiency and over a distance that is useful for real-world applications. Bird, the e-scooter and e-bike company, is now integrating with Global Maps, firstly in America before expanding to other countries. Anyone using Global Maps to plan a trip in a US city where Bird operates its scooter sharing scheme will be able to locate where scooters and bikes have been left. There will also be an approximate trip duration, estimated price and the environmental impact, which one assumes will be negligible, especially if the recharging of the batteries is done by renewable energy. By looking at the options of cars, transit, bikes and walking, individuals will be able to select a variety of modes of transportation, including scooters, for their journey. Having information available through mapping services is the latest in a series of global mobility-as-a-service partnerships designed to simplify transport choices, including access to micro-mobility options. Bird e-scooters are available for purchase in Australia and they are setting up ride-sharing rental schemes. In mid-August 2021, Elon Musk announced that his organisation would be building a human-like robot, called Tesla Bot, to do manual work. His announcement was accompanied by a dancer in a spandex suit that supposedly represented what a robot would look like. Many people were not convinced. The Verge is a respected multimedia platform founded in 2011 to examine how technology will change life in the future. 
It offered the opinion that, quote, even by Musk's standards, it was a bizarre and brilliant bit of tomfoolery, a multi-purpose sideshow that trolled Tesla sceptics, fed the fans, ginned up the share price and created some eye-catching headlines, unquote. Tesla and other Musk business activities rely on headline-grabbing announcements and stunts rather than traditional marketing. At the moment, they need some good news. With increasing investigations of Tesla crashes, delays in launching their Cybertruck, and aggressive moves from competitors such as Rivian. The Australian and Victorian governments are testing LED tactile paving installations at pedestrian crossings in Bendigo and Trafalgar. This will provide areas of raised pavement marking that will glow either red or green to tell pedestrians when or when not to move. But traffic experts have raised concerns. This could further encourage pedestrians to look at their mobile phone screens, not only while they wait, but as they walk as well. Getting a green light does not guarantee safety. We should be encouraging people to continually look to see if any unforeseen dangers exist, including drivers running a red light, emergency vehicles or other pedestrians. Practitioners also know about the difficulty and cost of maintaining electric connections in pavements. One Australian company makes an illuminated footway walk signal that is beamed down from a signal post. This would be a far cheaper and more reliable device, but still not necessarily safe. And that has been the news. Michael Regan is Emeritus Professor of Human Factors with the University of New South Wales Research Centre for Integrated Transport Innovation. Michael's current research interests include driver distraction and inattention, driver interaction with autonomous vehicles and human factors in road and traffic engineering. G'day, Michael. Hi, David. When I did engineering at Uni of New South Wales, they had just redesigned the course and they stipulated that I had to do a number of general study subjects, which I loved. Is the University of New South Wales still strongly trying to link what might be called the hard sciences with the social sciences? Well, yes, very much so. And in fact, I designed and uh, ran a couple of years ago. Of course, it's totally unique in Australia for um, civil and transport engineers called Human Factors in Civil and Transport Engineering. And of course, is a whole semester course, basically designed to um, get engineers thinking about user-centered design and understanding what human capabilities and limitations are and how to design the transport system uh, to accommodate those and exploit those uh, limitations and uh, capabilities. We did some work with a behavioural scientist on road safety education, which is often, I'll tell you what you do and assume you should do it. We've got to engage with people with where they're at much more. Is that part of the human factor design? One thing to say that You'll train people to use the system and you'll license them to use the system. But once they get out there in the system, it's important that the system is designed from a human perspective. One of the things that we hear a lot about is that human error contributes to uh, more than 90% of road crashes. And that figure is fairly stable, actually, across a wide range of industries in which uh, you know, crashes and accidents and incidents occur. But often the human error in transport is created by poor human design of the system itself rather than due to the um, you know, limited capability of, of the humans that are using the system. 
Those camera analysis also shows that it, it's not a quick one-off situation. It's also something that you can build up. We think of a crash as a, an instantaneous misjudgment, yet it's to do with perhaps a longer time sort of analysis and understanding of what's happening within the vehicle? Yes, exactly. I mean, for every crash, there are multiple contributing uh, factors. And there are things that are occurring over time that uh, sort of escalate in, in time that, you know, uh, together create a, uh, create a crash. I road test cars. I do a couple of weeks. And the digital technology has given us a more approach, almost of more is beautiful, but it's not just quantity. And in fact, I think graphic design, which is often about colour and movement, are entertaining but not necessarily helpful. That two-step process, or at least to do something, is extremely dangerous. I think a, a judge in America recently condemned Tesla, of which we've commented in a road test, where to change the speed of the windscreen wipers is a two-step process off the middle screen of the vehicle. Yes, it's a very good point that you're making, David, and... Um it brings me back to a, a colleague of mine, Professor David Strayer, who um, is at the University of Utah, and uh, his colleague, Professor Cooper, who I've been collaborating with on a project that uh, has been looking at actually developing a, a star rating scheme and a test protocol that, that could be, we hope in the future, implemented within the Australian New Car Assessment Program to test the distractibility of the interactions that people have in vehicles. and. That's one of the things he commented on. When you've got vehicles uh, like the Tesla, and the, the Tesla is just one, one example, this is what you find. And, and if you have a look at the, the cockpit of a, a Tesla, it's, al- it's almost got no controls at all. There's a steering wheel there. So you, you've got to ask, as you rightly said, is it better to have an old-fashioned um, you know, rotary dial or switch that's, that's going to be able to uh, allow you to, to find your radio station or control the windscreen wipers without having to look away from the road because that's the critical thing when you look away from the road or if it takes your mind off the road which we call cognitive distraction which is also part of the process it gets dangerous i've just been driving a golf gti and it has a two-step process to change the speed of the fan which is not good i don't think but it is trying to develop voice recognition we call that cognitive distraction and that's one of the big hot topics at the moment in, in the human factors field, this whole issue of voice recognition. And we know that for some simple tasks like, you know, turn on the radio, that if the voice recognition system works in the first place, because that can be a distraction in itself if it doesn't, then that's okay. But if it's, if it's a system that requires complex uh, dialogue, we've got to remember exactly how to say things to the speech recognition uh, system when a person is talking to you on the phone, they're not aware of what you're looking at. So the boss or a work colleague may raise a great concern just as you're approaching a roundabout. They don't know that, but that's when you don't need to be told, hey, you're running late with such a project or there's a problem here. Exactly. And you've hit the nail on the head. And that's why we do find that when people are travelling with Passengers who are acting as uh, co-pilots, essentially, provided they're not complete backseat drivers, because that can be a distraction in itself, that they will actually improve the safety of the vehicle overall because they're supporting the uh, supporting the driver. They know actually when they're going through an intersection that 
they should shut up or, or they should tone down their conversation so that they're allowing the driver to have the mental capacity to deal with the situation. And so what you find is that young drivers or young passengers tend not to have that skill and so young passengers tend to actually be a bit of a distraction for young drivers. If you've got a more experienced driver driving with, driving with a young driver or an older driver, they provide that advice and they sort of self-regulate their own talking behaviour in this instance to support the driver. That's an element of behaviour change, isn't it? Not just a lecture or even give vague things like drive safely, but to say, where do you think you might get into danger? What happens if you're talking? Where would that be the most dangerous? So they engage and develop their own solutions without thinking that they're just having to obey their parents. Exactly, exactly. Let's go to also then uh, something that we all get every day and we think might be fairly straightforward, and that is the question of signposting and line marking on the road. A lot of work's been done in that area. Has there been enough human-centred design in that? I think uh, traffic engineers over the years, through experience and through expert committees, and other means, and of course, based on, on uh, some good research, much of it that was done you know, some decades ago, have actually designed the, the road and transport system in a human factor sense pretty well on the whole. We do have guidelines and standards, national ones and international ones, that transport engineers are generally using out there to try and get it right. But I'm sensing, not just sensing, I'm, I'm experiencing like a lot of other people, a lot of problems that are still going on out there. And the basic problem is, David, I'll calm down in a minute, but I get very excited about this. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> but we, have a, we have a road safety auditing system at the moment that I give credit to the road safety community for, and I'm part of that community where they go out and inspect segments of road and, and make sure that they're safe and work out what improvements have to be made. But the human factor is not a, a central consideration in that. There's not a specific human factors component of that road auditing system. A classic of signs is when they're obscured by tree branches or such. You need an ongoing maintenance role. There's been great concern. The Grattan Institute, for example, have come out and said what many of us have been concerned about, the declining in-house expertise and also independence to be able to keep maintaining the processes rather than just ticking a few boxes purely on standards. That's exactly right. And that's, again, why I referred back to the, the course that I started a couple of years ago. I'm recently, um, I'm an emeritus professor, but technically retired. And of course, I'm still uh, doing quite a bit of research and topping with teaching at the university. But at the moment, that course isn't, isn't running. And I'm just hoping that again, it'll start again next year because it, it is, as I said, the only course in Australia that's teaching the next generation of young traffic engineers and road designers what user-centred design is all about and, and where they need to go to get advice and what they need to do to, in, to improve the usability and safety of the transport system. I think it was the Korean airline had a great deal of difficulty and a lot of crashes and they found it was the communication between the pilot and the co-pilot and there were cultural differences. Now that raises the point of vehicle-to-vehicle communication. It's all very well to say this is up ahead but 
what does that mean to different people and does it distract them just to get that information vehicle to vehicle communication do you think that's an area that desperately needs to make sure it develops with human-centred design? Well, that's a very interesting area you're going into, David, and I actually spent about a third of my career in aviation safety and human factors. I've actually done research to try and implement uh, crew resource management training for young drivers within car cockpits. I uh, did some research on that quite some years ago, and we developed a program, the ACT government, that was developed, and... Um, it had a positive effect in, in making co- you know young co-pilots realise that there are things they can do to act as you know eyes and ears for, for young drivers to reduce this this uh, problem that we we seem to have where you know for young drivers with a young passenger. But yeah, getting back to car to car communication, that whole area is very interesting, and um, I didn't realise that our discussion was going to take us all over the place. And I'm really enjoying it. If they knew me well, they might have warned you against that. (laughs) (laughs) It is a critical issue that I think we have been blinded by the concept of the technology. That's a very good question. I think that certainly that issue you raised about what we call Level 3 vehicles or vehicles with Level 3 automation is is beyond the Level 2, and that's where the vehicle can, you know, for example, drive itself along certain parts of the road environment completely by itself and as you rightly say it might take you through the suburbs but then when it gets back to the freeway and uh, onto a ramp it'll tell you you've got to take over and as you rightly say uh, there are if the driver's distracted or if they're fatigued or inattentive for some other reason they might not be ready to take back control uh, quickly. Professor Regan I've taken a huge amount of your time but I've enjoyed it immensely and I think there's so many things there that I would really like to think we could continue on and build on. Well thank you David and, and it's been my pleasure too I mean it's it's really good fun when you speak to someone who actually has a really good knowledge of the area which you clearly do and I've really enjoyed it thank you. And that is Michael Regan, who is the Emeritus Professor of Human Factors with the University of New South Wales Research Centre for Integrated Transport and Innovation. And he's showing what I think is a wonderful concept and understanding of the complexity of the situation, but how we have to consider not just new technology for its own sake, but how it integrates, how it engages with the people who have to use it. The full interview with Emeritus Professor Michael Regan can be found on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. You're listening to Overdrive. Audi's Q5 is their top-selling vehicle, and the recent update early in 2021 has kept it at the forefront of the segment. We drove a 45 TFSI that's powered by a 2-litre turbo petrol engine with more than adequate performance. The TFSI engines act like a diesel engine with low torque delivery and a widespread that makes for very relaxed cruising and better economy. It's matched to a 7-speed sports DCT and the brilliant Quattro drivetrain. The Q5 provides a smooth, dynamic and safe driving experience. The vehicle we drove starts at around $76,500 plus the usual costs and added to that was some exterior styling, rear OLED lights and the Technic package that adds the excellent Matrix headlights, without doubt the best on the market, as well as a Bang & Olufsen 3D audio system. All up price is a little over $82,000 plus the usual costs and that's actually pretty good value. The Q5 seems to strike the almost perfect balance between style, size, performance, ride and dynamic handling, as well as comfort and luxury features and impressive safety. There's a reason the Q5 is so popular. That's because it's so good. I'm Rob Fraser. 
You're listening to Overdrive. In March 2019, Elon Musk released a teaser image of his planned utility, the Cybertruck. It was distinctive in its looks. He has just shown us pictures of an extra feature you'll be able to add, a campervan addition that you can put in the tray. It is even more distinctive. You can argue about the looks, the aesthetics of the vehicle, but 99% of the responders I had from Facebook thought that it was ugly. But does that make it a bad marketing move? Our good friend Paul Morell is a motoring journalist with a background in marketing. G'day, Paul. Good day, David. How are you? Very well. We are talking about this, so is it a success, merely the fact that it's provoked discussion? It remains to be seen, but uh, obviously... When it comes to Tesla and Elon Musk, anything that promotes discussion, they will treat as a success. The more you get people talking about your product, the more chance it has of of succeeding and the more people will see it. I believe that his budget for normal marketing is zero. He's a very unusual man in many, many ways, not least marketing. He doesn't spend money on marketing. He basically allows for word of mouth and Facebook, other words, social media. He gets an incredible amount of exposure. He also gets an incredible amount of exposure by making outrageous statements and often outrageous claims. The stated goal of Tesla is developing the Cybertruck to provide a sustainable energy substitute. Apparently, about 6,500 petrol or diesel fossil fuel powered trucks are sold per day in the United States. So he is honourable in his intent? Oh, yes, I think he's he's always honourable in his intent or, or his honest in his intent only the americans would buy such a vast number of huge trucks they really are they're enormous things in fact i was just was talking to the general motor special vehicles who've just released a new silverado here in australia as in another huge truck but yes the tesla will fit into that whether it is successful remains to be seen the truck was designed with a a ruler it has flat sides and sharp angles to the extreme. Is it elegant? Elegant is certainly not the word you would want to use. It could have been designed by a four-year-old with a, a metal ruler and a, and a pencil. I think you mentioned set square too, wasn't it? No, there's no question. There are no curves on it. It's one of those vehicles that is completely devoid of organic curves. I think it's described as a, a trapezoidal design. <laughs> which is typical designer speak. And Elon Musk, in typical fashion, says he likes it, so therefore that's the way it's going to go. It's it's almost like we don't care what people think of it, and he's actually stated that because he likes it, he doesn't even care if it's not a success. Well, the American market is big enough for some niches, but I believe he's had a million orders of people who put down $100 each. Not huge money, but that's good publicity. It is excellent. Um, I think I saw a number of something like 130. They're holding 130 million dollars worth of uh, deposits, which is an awful lot of deposits at 100 dollars each. So I'm a little skeptical of that. Right. It'll start in the US at probably around 39,900 dollars, which is not a huge ask, uh, and then it, it rises up to 69,900 dollars for the top of the range. But it's all a little bit of a moot point at the moment because there aren't any. His opposition, Rivian, who has designed and is said to be producing an electric ute vehicle, which also is ugly, in my opinion, they said that they're going to get $5 billion to build another factory in Texas. 
And Elon Musk has said that he will have to delay the launch of his. So he's got a couple of bad news out there. He's got to do something. Yeah, um, it's interesting with Rivian, by the way, I agree, is equally as ugly. It's almost like they're in a battle to see who can create the ugliest truck. They have two lights at the front, as you expect, either side, the lights, but there's little vertical almost slits. Almost they look like one of those little mints that you have, you know? Those are the lights at the front, only bigger, of course. They mainly show pictures of the side and the back, and it doesn't surprise me. The angular nature of the Cybertruck, Aston Martin did a bit of more wedge-shaped angular with the Lagonda, didn't they? Oh, you're taking us back there, David. Yes, they did, and it, uh, even all those years ago, polarised opinion fairly dramatically. People either loved it or hated it, uh, and it was nowhere near as angular as the Cybertruck. They also did the Bulldog, I think, and it might have just been a concept. Yes. And that is even more like the Cybertruck and around the back in terms of its angular. Anyway, we put the picture up on Facebook of the camper van. Now, the camper van is a, has this extension at the back, a tall, relatively thin extension, aluminium-sided. Looks like an outback shed with uncorrugated iron, if you know what I mean. Looks like an outback outhouse, basically. Now, that was the common expression we got. We got a couple of things, like it looked like a pop-up toaster, which I thought was particularly hurtful to pop-up toasters. But (laughs) one of the others was, I thought the American Aztec, you may remember that vehicle, was ugly, but... This is really ugly, but you're right. The most common response was a toilet, a backyard dunny. Yeah. In fact, one even used the word, because it was tall and thin, it uh, was really like a long drop. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Those who know outback toilets will realise that a long drop reflects the amount of distance it has to travel before it actually gets to the bottom. It is will leave to your imagination. Indeed. It's got solar panels on the roof. Yeah. That doesn't make it look pretty. The principle of car design, I think I read it by Steve Bailey, was the idea is that you have to be just ahead of trend, but not so far ahead of trend that you alienate buyers. In other words, if you're too far ahead of current belief in styling, then people will take a while to adapt to it. A good example might be, for example, the BMW by Bachet that, everyone said was just ugly everyone hated it and now it's it's sort of grown into its its own it becomes quite acceptable it'll be interesting to see if ever the Cybertruck grows into its design I'm not sure it ever will it strikes me as being a design that is designed for design's sake and the Rivian falls into the same category it's almost like how outrageous can we make it none of the design elements have anything to do with practicality in Japan, whenever they send out a fire engine in one area, I think it's Yokohama, they particularly send a leaf or two with them. In fact, Nissan has adapted the leaf so that it's even better at doing that. It's got a bit more range, it's got a bit more height so it can go over rough areas, not quite four-wheel drive yet, but that sort of thing. Mind you, I take your point about the uh, the fire engine attending does the leaf attending the fire engine. Perhaps with Tesla, the fire engine attending the Tesla could be for a different purpose, (laughs) given Tesla's reputation for going up in flames. (laughs) Physician, heal thyself. (laughs) It must be foldable or something. It must compress down. You couldn't... (laughs) 
drive with it like that. Paul, I seem like I'm talking to you nearly every every day, but I thank you for that greatly. <laughs> it's my pleasure. My pleasure, David. And that's Paul Morell, who is the founder and writer, main writer for the great website, Senior Driver Oz, spelled A-U-S dot com. Well worth a look. The full interview with Paul is also available on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Jeff Doyle, Professor Mike Regan, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For extended interviews and more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or there's our Facebook site, Overdrive City Driven Media. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.